Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are on a mission to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. It's a journey, and we're all walking it together. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. We're actually kicking off a new series today called The Daniel Dilemma, where we're going to learn from a guy who went through the same stuff we're going through today, 2,600 years ago. How crazy is that? But first of all, I want to thank, before I get into that, I want to thank all of our summer speakers. I mean, we just heard from eight different incredible people over the last eight weeks. And I don't know about you guys, but I really enjoyed hearing all those different perspectives. And it's all those powerful words. So thank you guys. It was incredible. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Cade, and I'm the lead pastor here alongside my wife, Beth. And here at No Limits, we're on a mission of making a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God. We want to help people find freedom, and we want to help people discover purpose. In other words, we want to help you live the life that God planned for you before you were even born, but it's a journey. You don't get there overnight, and you don't get there alone either. We need each other along that journey, and that's why we get together every Sunday. That's why we have small groups, and the goal we're reaching for is actually found in Ephesians 3.20, which basically tells us if we allow God full control in our lives and come together as a group of believers and just trust God to do whatever he wants to do in our lives, he's going to blow our minds with what he can accomplish through us. And that's incredible. So that's what we're after. That's why we're called No Limits Church. So go ahead and look at whoever you're with right now and say, it's time to take limits off. Now's the time. All right, 2020 is the most interesting year that any of us have ever experienced, right? And there's a lot of theories out there about what's really going on. And I'm not one to get into conspiracy theories, but I did want to pass along a warning from a post that I saw on Facebook, of all places. This lady, she urges us to stop letting the stores use those contactless temperature checkers because they're not checking your temperature. They're erasing your memory. And she knows this from personal experience, y'all. She went in to buy a salad and some water and maybe a few vegetables But after they used that little device, she came out with two boxes of White Claw and a dozen donuts. People, we got to wake up. I, another joke, I had to look up what White Claw was. Now I know. (laughs) Just to be clear, I am joking. They are just taking your temperature. They are not erasing your memory. I just wanted to give you a good laugh so you stop taking this stuff so seriously. Be alert, but y'all, be at peace. Choose joy. Be calm. It's going to be okay. All right, let's get into this new series called The Daniel Dilemma, because like I said, it turns out we currently face the same dilemma that Daniel did 2,600 years ago. You see, Daniel, he was Jewish, which means that he belonged to the people of God. And back then, Jewish people were the only ones who had access to God. But thank you, Jesus, we've all been adopted into the family of God. Man, that's a good thing. But since Daniel was Jewish, you'd assume that he was surrounded by people who were godly people, right? And obeyed the scriptures. And turns out, though, that Jewish culture back at that time was kind of drifting from the truth. And really, I'd guess that it probably looked a little bit like America is looking right now, what was going on there. But Daniel was one of the few that didn't give in to culture. He continued to live a righteous life, even when his Jewish friends and family were not. And uh, because everyone, but because everyone else was drifting, things didn't really turn out too well for God's people. Let's take a look at what happens in Daniel chapter 1. It says, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
So at this time, Israel was actually split into two kingdoms. The north kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah. So that's why you see Judah here. And Jehoiakim was king over Judah, and he was not a great king. His dad was awesome. But Jehoiakim, on the other hand, he really didn't have any interest in following the ways of God. And actually, there was a time when the prophet Jeremiah, you know Jeremiah in the Bible, he warned King Jehoiakim that if he didn't turn away from his wicked ways, not only would he die, but his kingdom would be destroyed. Guess what the old king did with the written prophetic word from Jeremiah? Well, first of all, he didn't even read all of it because it made him mad. And then he just threw it in the fire and he said, I'm still king. Seriously, that's how it went down. And that's why God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to do this. The Lord gave him, King Nebuchadnezzar, victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. This is a message in itself right here. King Nebuchadnezzar only had victory because what? God allowed him. God permitted it to happen. So listen to me. When you're in God's kingdom, when you're following his ways, this kind of stuff doesn't happen to you. God only permitted this to happen because of the state that Judah was in at that time. They were not following God. They were doing their own thing. So there's a divine protection over your life when you follow the ways of God. That is until you abandon God's protection by deciding to follow your own way. And I'm not talking about living a perfect life here. Some of you guys are like, oh man, I can't, I can't measure up to that. But I'm talking about a life where you're quick to confess your sin and you turn away from it. A life where you humble yourself before God and you say, not my way, but your way. You're still going to mess up, but the difference is what's happening in your, in your heart. Do you respond like King Jehoiakim did when you get confronted with sin in your life? Do you puff out your chest and say, I'm the king of my life. I make my own decisions. Or do you humble yourself before God and say, God, I need your power to help me overcome this sin, this addiction, this thing that I can't seem to shake. You see the difference between those two attitudes. I hope you do, because it all comes down to one simple question. Are you prideful about your sin or are you humbled by your sin? Some of y'all were led to listen to me right now because you needed that right there. Let the truth set you free. So then, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and the other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. So pretty much everyone at this time from Judah was taken as captives to Babylon. But King Neb short for Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to call him King Neb. He only wanted the strong, healthy, and good-looking men to come serve in the palace. Obviously, he would have chosen me, right? For those of you who are disgusted by such arrogance, I just say that to hopefully get you to laugh. But the truth of the matter is, all men think that they're good-looking. It's kind of strange, but even Donald Trump, of all people, thinks that he's good-looking, right? So there you have it. It says, train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. And this stood out to me. You know, sometimes when you read the Bible and it just kind of like highlights at you, you're like, whoa, what was that? The reason is I've watched a lot of people who have once lived their lives for God completely shift course and abandon the truth in God's word and instead follow whatever's popular in culture right then. You know what the catalyst was that kind of caused that to happen? I watched them go into college with one belief system and come out with another. And I know this isn't going to be popular, but you have to know this so that you can guard yourself. If you don't maintain your relationship with God while you're in college, you may just come out trained in the ways and the literature of the world and completely forget about the ways of God. 
I hate to tell you, but that's actually their agenda. But you can guard yourself about it if you know about it. And I'm not saying don't, I'm not saying don't go to college. Did you all hear that? I'm not saying don't go to college. I'm not saying you're bad if you went to college, so don't misunderstand. I'm saying that if you do choose to go to college, keep your eyes on God. Take everything you learn and compare it to the word of God and make sure that it's truth. So the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens, and they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Again, the first time I read this, the word train just kind of like whoop, popped out at me. And so I looked up the expanded definition of the original Hebrew word, which happened to be gadol, which is translated to train, and it means to grow, become great or important. I'm going to promote myself. I'm going to become powerful. I'm going to praise myself and magnify myself because I'm going to do great things. Have you ever know, known somebody who has a degree or two under their belt and they just like come off as arrogant? They devalue the people who don't have the same type of training that they got, even though they got the training so that they go into the profession maybe that God called them to, not so that they could hold it over somebody else's head, but that's another story. But I know that's not you. I mean, that's, that's not, you probably know somebody that's like that. And if you want to know what that kind of behavior gets you, I want you to go read what happens to King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. Seriously, write that down, Daniel chapter 4, because that is a good story. But in short, if you don't humble yourself at some point along your journey, God's going to do it for you. And really, it's a favor. It really is. So let's recap. The best of the Jewish young men were brought to the palace to be trained in the way of Babylonian culture so they could enter the royal service. And here's what happens next. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names, Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. So a name is how you identify yourself, right? So, of course, the first thing they had to do was change the names of these guys so that they no longer identified with who God had called them to be and instead identified with who Babylon called them to be. You see, the devil has an agenda, and his first order of business is he wants to use culture to change our identity. If you're taking notes, this is where you write, fill in that first blank. He wants to label you as an alcoholic, or a drug addict, or homosexual, or transgender, or as someone who will never amount to anything, someone who will always be poor, someone will always, who will always have health problems. Culture has a slew of identities it tries to throw at you, and chances are you may have struggled with one of the ones I just mentioned, but there's a whole lot more. But let's look at these four different guys that we just mentioned and see what kind of identity was Babylon trying to put on these guys. This is really interesting. You see, Daniel, his original name means God is my judge. And then the name they gave him, Belshazzar, means lady, protect the king. They gave Daniel a girl's name. Like, in every worldly culture, there has been gender confusion. This was going on 2,600 years ago, y'all. This isn't something that's new. You may have thought that it was, but the devil wants people confused about simple matters like gender, because if he can get you confused about who you are on a physical level, he can definitely keep you confused about who you are to God. That's how that works. Next one, Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. Shadrach, I'm fearful of God. And this still goes on today because there's a lot of people out there who are afraid of God. They're, they're afraid if they mess up, God will just make their life miserable. They think that God's the one that brings all these natural disasters. They think God brought the coronavirus to us. I mean, they think that God is this furious, intimidating being up there sitting on his throne, waiting for us to mess up so that he can punish us. That's the Shadrach identity. 
But that's not God at all. God actually loves us so much and he wants to be with us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to restore our relationship with him. And now because of Jesus, we can walk confidently up to God and know that he's just going to love the heck out of us because that's what he wants to do. Then there's Mishael, who's, who is what God is? Who is like the Lord, strong in battle? That's what that means. Meshach, though, I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. So his original name was all about confidence and who God is and what he does. And his new name was all about cowering down and believing that you have nothing to offer. We've all seen both of these identities too, right? There's Christians who have fully accepted the forgiveness of God. They don't waste time in regret. They live their life with boldness and confidence in who God is and what he's going to do in their lives. And then there's Christians who are just so humiliated by their past that they just kind of walk with their head down. They don't have any joy. They're just kind of trudging through life. And if that's you, it's time to take off the Meshach identity and put on the Mishael identity. God needs you to be confident, not in, not in what you can do, but what he can do through you, despite of what you've done. Last one, Azariah means Yahweh has helped, and Abednego means servant of Nebo. In other words, this guy was living side by side with God. He knew he wasn't doing it alone. He was accomplishing great things, and God was by his side. But the Babylonian name wanted to strip all that away and make him a servant of a false god. Nebo was one of their gods that they had back then. So culture has been trying to force these name changes forever. The question is, are you going to accept the name change, or are you going to stick to the name that God gave you and identify yourself with the word of God? Let's keep reading to find out what happens with Daniel. Daniel, that boy was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. So he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. So in his mind and in his heart, Daniel did not accept what the Babylonians were trying to put on him. They didn't, he didn't accept the name change, and he didn't want to eat their food either. But notice that Daniel didn't get all upset and like throw, throw his plate across the room and say, y'all are going to hell for eating this kind of food. I ain't going to eat it. He didn't do that. He's actually a great example about how saying no to culture doesn't have to be ugly. You have to have the confrontation. You have to be bold. But you can do it in a calm and respectful way, just like Daniel did. Culture has an agenda for you. It wants to change your identity. And here's the second thing it wants to do. Compromise our standards. Have you noticed lately how culture wants to change what you believe? Even, it even wants to change what you believe about America and how like our history and stuff. They want you to ignore the instruction that we find in the Bible in the name of the Almighty of inclusion. Today's false God. And boy, they can make clever arguments too. Because here's the deal. The devil ain't stupid. He is the master of deception. It's not going to be obvious. He sneaks sin into your life in a way that you don't even realize it at first until it's just kind of too much to handle. It just kind of grows. And you're like, wow, where'd that come? Let me give you an example. It starts out like this. You know, sex outside of marriage, it's no big deal. As long as you're not committing adultery, just do what you want. Oh, and pornography is fine too because you're the only one that knows about it. Okay, yeah, that stuff doesn't seem so bad. Plus, we don't have any right to confront people about such matters. Like, those are personal matters, aren't they? And then now that the devil's kind of whittled his way in with these smaller things, here's what happens next. Oh, by the way, Sometimes people are born gay. It's completely normal. Some people might want to have a sex change, and that's fine too. So let's go ahead and promote that kind of behavior because we don't want them to feel bad about those decisions. 
this is uncomfortable, isn't it? I can feel it in the room, man. And when you think it couldn't get worse, it gets worse. Now they're trying to get us to believe that pedophilia is a sexual orientation. Seriously, that's the next thing that's coming. And this is about the time that all the Christians wake up and they're like, wait, 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 that's too far. What, what's going on here? Well, the enemy started perverting sex one little thing at a time. And he did a really good job at getting the church to stay silent about his deceiving little plan so it could just keep moving forward. Here we are. But we get stuck because we don't know the right way to stand up for what we believe in without being labeled as a bigot. And that's why today I'm going to show you the most effective way to stand up for the Word of God. But first, you got to understand this. Culture wants this confrontation. They want it to happen. In other words, they're not just going to let you sit over in your little Christian bubble and have your countercultural beliefs in peace. They're going to confront you, and they're going to try to intimidate you. So let's look at how this played out for Daniel. So remember how he just mentioned that he didn't want to eat their food? Well, here's how they responded. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I'm afraid of the Lord, my king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. So the only reason the chief of staff didn't want to let Daniel honor his beliefs is because of fear. He was afraid that the big boss, what he would do. That sound familiar? Just me? Remember when the Black Lives Matter movement came front and center a few months ago and Culture was using fear to coerce you into posting something or saying something or joining a protest. And all of us were confronted with this, oh my gosh, if I don't say something or do something, people are going to think that I'm a racist. Fear. Make no mistake. I'm all for racial reconciliation. I'm all for it. And God is too, by the way. But elevating one race above the other is never going to solve the problem. It's only going to make it worse. And all you got to do now that we're several months into this is to look out and see the Black Lives Matter movement has not solved the race issue. It's made it worse. People who were once racist are now more racist because they're infuriated about what's going on. Y'all, elevating one race above the other will never solve the problem. Know that. Or how about when culture was using fear to try to get you to wear a mask, right? And not necessarily the fear of the virus. That's what was interesting about this fear. They tried to make you fear that you were a bad person if you didn't wear a mask because supposedly you didn't care about other people. That was the fear they were pushing on us. And I'm not here to argue if masks, like if we should wear masks or not, because you can find solid medical advice on both sides of the argument. If we're honest, we could just sit and argue ourselves to death and not get anywhere because, yeah, I'm just trying to show you how culture wants to create confrontation and they always use fear as their tactic. So that's how you identify the devil's work. You look around and you say, is fear the motivator here? It's the devil. Plain and simple. So what did Daniel do when he was confronted with this fear tactic? Well, he said, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. I love this. Like Daniel was so confident in his beliefs that he was willing to put them to the test. Go ahead, put it to the test. This is the confidence that we need to have in God's word. When your faith is tested, when what we believe is made fun of, when what we believe isn't popular with culture, we stand firm in our beliefs, knowing that in time, people will see the results of it. They're going to see it. Let me make this practical. I don't have to be a part of BLM to stand for racial reconciliation. I stand on the word of God, where it says that there's no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all what? One in Christ Jesus. And you can test me on this. Just see if you can find a racial bone in my body because it's not 
there. Why? Not because I'm awesome, but because the love of God and the word of God is alive and well in my life. All right, let's do a quick recap. Culture wants to change your identity. They want to compromise your standards and they want to confront you with fear. So now that you understand how culture works against God, you're going to be able to recognize it when it's happening. But when that confrontation comes, we got to know how to handle it, right? And when it comes to the church, there's usually two ways that people handle it, both extremes, and neither of them are right. You have your dogmatic Christian over here who walks around with that stigma. I know I'm right and you're wrong. And I'm going to passionately tell you how wrong you are until you see that I'm right. And if you don't listen, I really don't even care that you go to hell because it's your fault. The thing is, like, this stance isn't completely wrong. Like, we need to stand on the truth in God's word. The problem is it's not effective because it's missing something. And then you have the other side that's over here like, you know, God loves everyone, so it doesn't really matter what we do. If we change or not, we should just let people do what they want to do. Plus, it's really too uncomfortable to talk about living a holy life. That's just not a comfortable conversation. And people that think that way are actually saying, I love people better than God does. Because in God's love, he not only gives you grace, but he loves you too much to leave you in your mess. He pulls you on out of it. So the whole love others and never correct them strategy, it feels really good. And the church has been all over that for quite a while now. And it appears to be right until you realize that you have to abandon the truth in God's word to do that. And we can't abandon truth in God's word. So if neither of these is right, what do we do? How do we stand firm in God's word and love others with unconditional love? Seems like you can't do it, but you can. And it starts by realizing this is not an either or, it's a both and. The truth from God's word can be in perfect harmony with love. They're made to be together. Of course, Jesus is the ultimate example of this, right? In John 1, 14, it says, And the word became flesh, that's Jesus. He dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And he was full of grace and truth. Aha! You mean Jesus didn't just come with grace only? No, he came with truth, and he didn't have just a little bit of each. He was full of grace and full of truth, both of them. So... Let's break this down. What is truth? Well, truth is God's word. And you find that in John 17, 17. It says, your word is truth. So if we want to find truth, the only place you're going to find it is in the Bible. So if culture is going against what the Bible teaches us, you can be 100% sure it's a lie. Like you can be 100% confident in that. It's not the right thing. And well, what is grace though? Grace is God's favor. And favor is defined as an act of kindness beyond what is due or usual. So Jesus died for you when you were still a sinner. Grace. God loves you even when you're living in sin. Grace. And he loves you too much to leave you there. Truth. You didn't earn God's grace and favor, and actually you can't do anything to earn it. It's a free gift. You don't deserve it, but he gave it to you anyway. Praise God. Let me put it to you this way. You can't do enough good things to earn your way to heaven. You can't do enough good things to earn your way into heaven. There's only one way to heaven, and that's by believing that Jesus died to save you from yourself. And all you have to do is receive the free gift. You see, Ephesians 2.8 says that God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. So this is our example. This is our example. Because God has given me grace, I can extend grace to others. I can be kind to them even when they don't deserve it. I can be kind to them even when everybody else tells me not to. So now that we have to, now we have to merge these two together, grace and truth. And one of the best ways to figure out how to merge them is to actually look at what happens whenever they're separated. Well, without truth, we're corrupt. 
For several years, I was a web developer. I'd sit in front of my computer and write code all day. Bet you didn't know I was that much of a nerd, right? Well, I still am. But I remember spending an entire day working on one website, and when I ended the day, man, it was a good day. I felt accomplished. I was like, yeah. And I worked from home at the time, and we had two computers that were connected to the same backup system. And for whatever reason, when Beth turned on her computer that night, it wiped out everything that I, or corrupted all the files that I had been working on that day. So all the files were unusable, and the only choice I had was to rewrite all the code that I just, it was a bad, that was a bad day. And Beth felt really bad, but it wasn't her fault. But this just, it's an, that's, good, that's a good example of this truth, that when something is corrupted, it's of no use to those around it. In other words, when you stray from God's truth, you lose your ability to help people. When you stray from God's truth, you lose your ability to make a difference in the lives of others. You may think that you're helping them by just letting them live in their mess and not confronting them about it, but the only way you help them is with God's truth. Hmm. This is why it's so strange for Christians to be advocates of the LGBTQ movement. I think we all agree that we should love these people with the same love that we do anybody else, that we should respect these people with the same respect we give to anyone else. But when we advocate for sin, it actually does them a disservice. It's like encouraging them to live in bondage. I'm going to go join this movement that encourages people to live in bondage. Like, it just doesn't make sense whenever you think it through. And the Bible is really clear about sexual purity. Like, we don't have to wonder, well, what's the truth here about about sexual purity? If there's anything that is clear in the Bible, it's that. You find it all throughout there. It's everywhere. Here's the problem, though. We tend to want to deliver that truth without grace. And the problem is, without grace, we're condemned. In other words, you can't undo bad things with good things. The only thing that undoes the bad in your life is God's grace. And here's what God says. He's like, I love you, and I want to help you, so I'm going to send my only perfect son, Jesus, to die for you, because without him, you're stuck trying to earn something that you can't earn. So that's God's grace. He sent Jesus to die for you so that you could be made right with God, and that's all a gift. You just have to reach out and receive it by believing in Jesus. And at the same time, God loves you so much that he gave you his word to lead you into all truth so that you could live your life in freedom. So God's grace came to save you, and his truth came to set you free. So good. The only way to your best life is with grace and truth. You received the gift of grace by believing in Jesus, and then you submit yourself to the truth that you find in God's word. Let's look at one more comparison to help drive this home. You see, without truth, we become worldly. So without God's word, you're going to live your life just like the world does. And here's the benefit of that. You get the same problems, you get the same hangups, you get the same disappointment, you get the same unfulfillment. There's your benefit. But without grace, we become judgmental. So if you submit to God's truth, but you leave grace out of the mix, you end up looking at at your own trash heap and you realize, well, that's not quite as big as everybody else's. I may have a few things messed up in my life, but at least I'm not as bad as everybody else. And we think those things. But we can't think that way because this kind of attitude is actually what pushes people away from God when our whole duty here, our whole job here is to be drawing people closer to God. Come on, come this way. Because here's the deal. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. But truth with grace is love. If you want to bring healing into your life and into others' lives, you need grace and truth working together. In other words, here's the deal. Your only motivation to bring truth into somebody else's life is because you love them too much to let them suffer, to let them be misled. So if your motivation for sharing truth is because you want to prove that you're right, we've all been there. 
Or if your motivation for sharing truth is because you want to feel better about your own trash heap, you better just keep your mouth shut. It's not time for you to share truth. But if love is your motivation, then we owe it, owe it to them to share truth, even when it's a hard conversation. So we're a church that offers grace and truth at the same time. And here's why. Grace invites us to be free, and truth sets us free. You know, one of the biggest confrontations throughout history between Christianity and culture is this whole idea of inclusion. Culture, prophes- or, culture preaches their message about how they include everybody, and Christianity doesn't. What's ironic is that culture doesn't include everybody. All these movements are actually just an outward display of something that's not even real. I mean, just look at the whole mask issue. I sure didn't feel included when I didn't wear a mask. They don't include everybody. But let me think, but let's think through this whole Christian exclusion thing because sometimes I think they're right. We do exclude people because we forget to deliver truth with grace. We forget that we're not fighting against people, we're fighting against darkness. And we forget that truth should be delivered at the right time, and the Holy Spirit will let you know when it's time. It's clear why people would think that Christians exclude people, because sometimes we do. And then we tend to get too far on the other side, because we realize our fault, and we're like, oh man. And then we start advocating sin, without even realizing what we're doing. And a few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit, he gave me a very clear response of those for those who struggle with that idea of Christian exclusion. Like, how do I consolidate this in my mind? And I want to share this with you. And this is actually just written on an envelope in my office. Like, it came to me so fast. I'm just writing it down, and I just left it on my desk. But I typed it out for you. Here it is. Christianity doesn't exclude people. It excludes sin. And sin isn't defined by Christians. It's defined by the most read book of all time, the Bible. People actually exclude themselves by choosing to live a life of sin rather than a life of obedience to God's word. And in their sin, they sense a need for freedom, and they think that it's going to be found in getting others to accept their sin, but freedom is only found in turning away from sin and towards Jesus. I want to close today by telling you a story about Jesus that illustrates this really well. It's found in John chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Jesus went across to Mount Olives, but he was soon back in the temple again, and swarms of people came to him. He sat down and he taught them. The religion scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone, and they said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses, in the law, gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say? Isn't it interesting that this same accusing spirit lives on today? I mean, I remember back when the racial tension started and everyone was pressuring us to say something. What do you say? What do you say? If you're silent, you approve of the sin of racism. They were doing this to Jesus. What do you say? Come on, say something about this. They were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. But Jesus bent down and he wrote in the finger, with his finger in the dirt. In other words, they were trying to get Jesus to choose between grace and truth. Jesus, are you going to follow truth and kill her? Or are you going to follow grace and disobey the Bible? What are you going to choose, Jesus? They kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, all right, the sinless one among you, go first. Throw the stone. Hearing that, they walked away, one after the other, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. And we're about to see how respectful Jesus is when he confronts sin. He doesn't do it while everyone else is watching. 
He's not looking to humiliate us. No, he waits for a private moment. So when you're moved by love to help somebody out of their sin, take the example of Jesus, be respectful, do it in private, and don't talk to anyone else about it. Jesus stood up and he spoke to her, woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, master. Well, neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way. From now on, don't sin. Grace and truth. Jesus knew this wasn't an either or. He gave the woman grace when he said, I don't condemn you. Then he gave her truth when he said, from now on, don't sin. Everyone go ahead and close your eyes. I want you, did you know that this applies to you too? Like right now, Jesus is extending grace. He's saying, I don't condemn you. Come, let me help you walk away from sin. Maybe you've already given your life to Jesus, but you've kind of been stuck in sin. Well, right now, Jesus is, he's really saying like, come, I'm not mad at you. Let me help you step into freedom. Or maybe you've never given your life to Jesus, but today you realize, oh my gosh, he's real. You can sense his presence. You can sense him just kind of tugging on your heart to come closer. Well, go ahead, go closer. Walk up to Jesus. All you got to say is, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. Thank you for forgiving me. Well, Lord, we thank you for your truth. Before I delivered this message, you showed me that there were strongholds that were going to be broken today by your truth. And I just thank you that that's been done. That's some things that maybe some people have been confused about or wondered about that they now know and it's clear to them what they're, what they're supposed to do. We thank you for empowering all of us to walk around with just an unlimited supply of grace that we can be kind to people even when they disagree with us. That we can be kind to people even when we think that they should be doing better, that they shouldn't have done that or whatever it is, that we can be kind and that we never deliver truth unless it's from a motivation of love. Lord, I ask that you quicken our spirits when we're about to share truth out of the wrong motivation so that we know to keep our mouth shut and help us to keep our mouth shut. But at the same time, I ask you for discernment to know the right time to deliver truth, the perfect timing, the right words to use. We know that your Holy Spirit is guiding us and we trust in that. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Well, go ahead and look back up here. Here's the deal. The world needs us to understand this. They need us to. We've got to learn to approach every situation with grace and truth, because it takes both to lead people to Jesus. There's really just two things that you need to accomplish this, and you need compassion for people, and you need confidence in God's Word. You bring those two together, and you're going to lead people to Jesus. So when you're praying this week during our 21 days of prayer, I want you to pray every day that God will fill you with compassion, and that He'll also give you confidence in His Word, because we all need that. What is 21 days of prayer, you ask? Well, I'm glad that you asked. It's something that we do twice a year as a church, once in January, and then we do it again in August. And today kicks off 21 days of prayer. And we're going to go live every night on the No Limits Church Facebook page at 9 p.m. to pray with you guys. So we're going to pray together. We're going to believe God together, and God's going to bring clarity 
He's going to bring healing. He's going to bring wholeness. Like he's just going to do all kinds of amazing things in our lives and in our church throughout this 21 days. It happens every time. I don't have a doubt in my mind that something incredible is going to come out of us seeking God intentionally for 21 days together. These kind of things are easy to forget. So I'm going to send out a text reminder to anybody who wants them. Simply text the word prayer to our number, 918-373-9883. And even if you did this back in January, you need to do it again because I cleared out that list in January. I just want to make sure that you only get a text if you want it. Because seriously, I don't want to bug you. I just want to help you if you want these text messages. So I'll send you a text every evening during these 21 days with the link to that Facebook Live. That'll happen every evening at 9 p.m. So while y'all are texting that in, let me just take a moment to thank you for your generosity Seriously, you guys are a generous church. Everybody's doing their part. We're all bringing our resources together. And you know what that does? It equips our church to do exactly what God's called it to do. Nothing missing, nothing lacking. The provision is always there. And you know, on top of this, we're dedicated to being faithful stewards of the resources that we have here. And that's why we rent our facility on the days that we don't use it as an event venue. And I haven't given you guys an update in a while, so I wanted to let you know how that's, that it's going really well once again. COVID obviously shut it down. For several months, but things are picking back up. In July, the venue actually generated over $3,400 for the month of July. Like it's rolling and going. You know what's so cool about that number? It covered our rent. (laughs) That's awesome. And and people get a great venue at a great price. Like this is really a win-win for everybody all around. So God is so good for leading us into that and making it happen. His blessing is definitely on it. And it's just, it's incredible. So awesome. So if you're ready to give today and you're giving by cash or check, just raise your hand for an offering envelope. One of our ushers will bring that to you. Or you can give anytime online. And how you do that is you simply head to the browser on your phone, tablet, computer, type in nolimits.fyi into the address bar and then tap the giving button. It's that easy. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.